Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Seventh, we're here today with James Somerville. Husband, father, entrepreneur, uh, former social worker. I met him just recently at a networking event as I'm a business coach and public speaker. Uh, shameless promotion. And uh, I, uh, as soon as I met him, I thought, oh, my God, I've got to get this guy on the radio. He's doing something really exciting. He's got a business which is in the midst of expansion uh, where he is a, he's a barber. Uh, but about 50% of his clients – uh, he focuses on people that are having some some challenges or have special needs. So uh, I just thought that was the coolest thing, and and I wanted to have him on. So thank you very much for being with us today, James. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, it's gonna be a gonna be a great show. I don't want to be going blah 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 too much here because I want we want to hear from you. Can you tell us a little bit about you know how you got into Tell us a little bit about you and your history and then how this whole evolution uh, of uh, having this barbershop for for people with uh, special needs came about. Well, as you mentioned lightly, uh, I was a social worker. Um, so I was working for the Department of Child Protection uh, as well as a few other organisations like Baptist Care, say, uh, many other different ones. Basically, I came to the realisation that there was a bit of a niche in the market in terms of barbering and hairdressing because a lot of places don't offer a specific service for people that have special needs. Um, So I had got to the point where I was burning out being a social worker and it just came to me that I needed to actually make a change and you know, being being a kid in the early '90s myself, like I grew up in a uh, fairly heavily religious family, uh, where we grew up in the the, the Assemblies of God Pentecostal movement. Um, and back in the '90s, like if I was to be a hairdresser, I would be labelled as a homosexual, which is a horrible thing and should not be the case, and it certainly isn't the case now. Um, but basically, I. Just, I said to my wife one day, I said, look, I need to get out of social work. I need to do something that's, you know, fun. I'm a creative person. Like, I love drawing. I love going to Comic-Con. I love, you know, playing many instruments. That's what I do. So she said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know what? I want to actually learn how to cut hair. So basically went and did my uh, training while I was still working uh, in telecommunications at this time because I was working for Telstra. And uh, yeah, basically, I yeah, did my studies and ended up starting up a business for another owner, uh, which was called Ligers and Barbers, which are now defunct. And uh, yeah, uh, out of that, uh, the Bearded Barber was born. 
Uh, ironically, the bearded barber was done because my wife hates my beard. Mm. And uh, so I had to have a business that made sure I kept my beard. And mm. I can tell you right now, she wasn't very happy about that. But um, yeah, basically, we've been running in Gawler, South Australia for uh, coming up two years. And we're in the process of expanding and moving into a new model called Beast and Beauty Co. And uh, basically, Beast and Beauty Co. is you know, multiple barbers, hairdressers, and a beautician as well. And uh, yeah, we're going to be looking after the whole family, and, and that includes people with special needs. So. Wow, that's really neat. There's so much there to unpack. There is. I, 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 uh, yeah, that's awesome. First thing I want to do is I want to say, uh, you know, our show's not really a business show, but my background's in business as well. And I, I just want to say that shows true entrepreneurship. Yeah. And anybody listening, I mean, think about it for a second, because what he did is he saw a need in the marketplace – and then he tried to fill it. Yeah, correct. That's simple. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, I'm just going to open up a fish and chip shop. I want to have my own business. And, and I'm not knocking people with fish and chip shops. Or, or oh, I'm going to open up another, uh, I don't know, uh, get a petrol station. Or I'm going to uh, whatever. Yeah. One of there's a million things. He, saw, he created something out of nothing, created a need, and then filled the need. I mean, saw this. I mean, it's and if think about it, I mean, I don't think anybody sits around thinking about. I, I mean, the average person doesn't go, "Wow, it must be really challenging for somebody with autism to get their hair cut." Mm. But think about these people; every single part of their life is a challenge. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and and to have somebody like you that's trying to make that easier on them. And more comfortable for him. It's just awesome. So you're to be commended. I yeah. just wanted to – I'm sorry I went on a rant there. I don't no, usually talk this much, but – uh, Well, I do in real life, but not on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had many conversations. But, but I, it's just awesome, and it just hit me that, that you're not just a great guy. You're, you're a true entrepreneur too. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, to be honest, a lot of this was born, uh, birthed from the fact that I, I'm a father, um, and I have a daughter that has high-functioning – uh, autism herself, mm-hmm. and my son Charlie. He's he's my little champion. He's twelve years old. He's got Tourette's, oh. um, and so he's had a few challenges uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? If I I get to be a dad to two really cool kids, and I love that, mm. and I I understand the challenges that as, us as parents have dealing with special needs. Mm. Um, so yeah, basically to me, it was no brainer coming up with this uh, new plan for Beast and Beauty Co. And actually building something that was going to be fantastic and wonderful, uh, and that would actually look after everyone. So yeah. So er, so is it called Beast and Beauty Co? Because I mean, you're like me. You're a lot of man to love, <laughs> and, and you're six foot five, and you got the big beard. You know. So are you the beast, and then your wife's the beauty? Is that what that's all about? You know what? Uh, in to make myself sound fantastic and not get into trouble. Yes, definitely, I'm the beast. Um, <laughs> But, you know, basically we, we came up with the idea because uh, we have friends and my wife. They both love Disney. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, cool, Beauty and the Beast. Okay. And then we're like, cool, lawsuit. So let's maybe not go down <laughs> okay. that path. Yes. And so we're like, but 
Beast and Beauty Co. works, and actually, it actually really uh, amalgamates what we're doing. So your wife is involved in the business? Yeah, so come come February next year, uh, my wife is actually a registered nurse. She's oh, been wow. uh, nursing for 10 plus years, mm-hmm. and um, like myself, she's at the point where she's a little bit burnt out. Mm. Um, so she's going to be going to Melbourne next year to do a Botox injectables course, mm-hmm. and come February, we'll be offering Botox injectables as part of the beauty mm. side of things. Because in order, order to be able to have that in the shop, uh, you actually have to be a registered nurse to do it. Oh, okay. So it just seemed like a no-brainer, so we'll be able to work together. Yeah. All right. Well, actually, I, I think you should mentally prepare yourself for working for her. But it's a, <laughs> but you know, it's good for you. It's good that you have a positive mind frame. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to hold on to that for a little bit longer. Yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. So uh, some really good stuff there. So you said that you worked uh, in the um, in child protection for a while. Yeah, I did. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that's just to me that seems like you really got to be a special kind of person to do that. Because it would break your heart sometimes. I would think. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, it's probably one of the most challenging jobs you can have outside of being a police officer or you know just working with people in general. Um, social work, you, you unfortunately come across a lot of really horrific things. Mm. Um, so in particular, I was looking after kids uh, in our care that was t- that were taken out of the care of the parents uh, due to abuse. Mm. Um, and I won't go into too much information about abuse, but I'm sure you can imagine mm-hmm. how significant that was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, definitely saw quite a lot of nasty stuff. And, uh, yeah, definitely we had to... Uh, we had to uh, prepare ourselves to be able to work in that field. Uh, fortunately for me, I was able to go to multiple states. Uh, so I worked in Perth, worked up in you know the Gold Coast, well not Gold Coast, but the top end of Queensland. Um, and I was able to work with kids coming out of duty as well. Um, and we were basically putting them into programs to try and rehabilitate them and actually like help them you know work towards a better future for themselves. Um, yeah, definitely a hard job though, especially with the fact that I did it for 10 plus years. Mm. A lot of people burn out within five. Mm. Um, so the, man, the fact that I managed to do 10 was yeah, pretty, pretty up there. Again, I, I might be talking too much, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, you know, because somebody like you, I, re- I really want you to get the credit I feel you deserve. So um, my dad was a Chicago cop. I know your dad was a cop too. Yep. And uh, I remember one time I came home from the Army on furlough, for, uh, from military university on furlough. And uh, it was Thanksgiving. And instead of going out and doing the stuff young men do when they're in the military <laughs> on a furlough, I, w- I went home to spend time with my parents. And, uh, so, and before I went, I made sure my dad had the time off, my mom had the time off, whatever. So I went back. And then it's Thanksgiving morning. My dad's starting get, putting on his uniform to go to work. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I got to go to work. I said, well, dude, I, I flew all the way across the country at my own expense, and mm-hmm. I'm here to spend time with family. You told me you're taking the day off. What's going on? Well, I got to go to work. I got to take a witness statement. I said, well, Dad, what are you talking about? I mean, you're a senior guy. You know, you're going to get one of the other, you know, younger guys to do it. Yeah. Well, it's a child. So I said, well, then that's exactly why you shouldn't go. It's, you should get a female officer because they respond better. Well, yeah, I'm probably going to have a female officer do the interview. Well, then why are you doing the interview? He goes, well, it's a four-year-old. I said, so what? He goes, with a sexually transmitted disease. I said, oh, I guess you should go. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just the stuff that you see in that situation. I mean, how has that affected you and your your drive to try to – 
you know, do what you're doing now? I mean, are you still be able to work with people? Yeah, look, uh, to be honest, like I, I had to remove myself from working within that field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was purely to protect myself and protect really? my family because, okay. you know, there was a point where I was working away from home so much mm-hmm. that I was barely seeing my kids. And it got to the point where I had, you know, piled on a heap of weight. I was, you know, smoking, drinking, doing a lot of stupid stuff to try and manage the stress. Manage the stress, great. As cops do. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And, you know, growing up with a a father that was a police officer, my dad was a pretty high-ranking police Mm -hmm. officer as well. And, yeah, basically, it just, yeah, I got to the point where I had to remove myself uh, just to protect me and protect my kids. Wow, that's a powerful point. And and uh, I, I, I want to just say that for everybody out there that's a, a service-oriented person, that it's so key to make sure that you're uh, taken care of so you can be of service because you have no service to anyone if uh, you're not taking care of yourself. Hmm. And it sounds like you were wise enough at a young age to figure that out. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear more words of wisdom from James in just a little bit. Listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM. We're back with James Somerville of Easton Beauty Co. And uh, James is running a very intriguing business, which we're going to come back to in a second, but he's got a, also an intriguing uh, history. Uh, he's been a social worker and worked for the uh, Department of Child Protection and Safe Places for Children and Abilit. Uh, Abil- I, I'm gonna. I'll be right. We'll be right back after these messages. And Matt learns how to speak English. <laughs> uh, Aboriginal Family Support Services yep. and uh, a few other organizations that are service oriented. And I, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, you've done some work with foster care children. Yep. Right. And and I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about that because I've done a little bit of research and looking at that. And tell me about your experience first. I, I just want to see if it marries up with what I'm thinking here. Yeah, well, basically, uh, yeah, there are quite a significant amount of children in foster care. Um, and majority of those children that are in foster care are as a result of being taken out of the care from their parents mm-hmm. uh, for whatever uh, reasons of abuse or neglect or whatever has taken place. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, the, or I should say, most agencies that do do the foster care work will always try to reunite the kids with their parents in some uh, format. Uh, whether it's regular visitations or uh, trying to actually get them back living with them as well. It does happen, not as much as I would like to see it happen. What percentage um, is reunification, <sighs> if you had to guess? Yeah, look, realistically, it'd be under 50%. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it's not because they can't. It's because there are reasons that are necessary for it to not take place. Um, cause I mean, in my time working in that, in that field, you do see a lot of parents that struggle with addiction. Um, you unfortunately, I've seen some situations where the, the relationships between parents and kids has been somewhat sexualized as well, mm-hmm. which is pretty horrific when you think mm-hmm. about it. Um, I certainly look, if I was to look at that as a parent, I'd be like, just no, like that's just horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, they're, 
there is a, a fostering system in place that multiple agencies work with the South Australian government to uh, try and find uh, care and homes uh, for the children. So. Mm. Well, my, my ex- experience, well, I, I don't know if experience is the right word, my research and the people I've talked to, uh, it just seems like there's not really an end game for the foster care system in Australia. And maybe I'm being too critical, but to me, and again, my father used to say, I'm neither an expert nor do I have any education or formal training in that subject so I can speak freely. You know, yeah, so yeah. so for whatever it's worth. But to me, as a layman, it it, it would seem that the goal of the foster care system uh, of course, is to reunify them with their parents if if that's possible. But if if fifty percent of the time it's not possible, uh, and even the higher goal is get the child into a loving uh, environment where they feel accepted, protected, and they have the opportunity for growth. Yep. That seems to be what's best yep. for me. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so um, that to me that means at least for half of these kids that can't be reunited with their parents, that's adoption. And, and, and yet, because, I mean, if, I don't see how bouncing from foster care home to foster care home over a decade is necessarily the best thing for the kids. And, yeah. and you know, that being said, you know, I mean, the stability of being in one place obviously is, is great for them. But more importantly, it, it's it, not more importantly, but it's saving the, the government money, yeah. you know, because they're not subsidizing that. The kids feeling more secure. And it seems to me everybody wins. Yeah. But yet last year there was – or the year before, there was only two adoptions in South Australia. Usually there's one or two. I looked into it myself, and I was basically told by the government person that I talked to not to bother. It's too hard. Yeah. You know? Unfortunately, I mean, the adoption system in South Australia in particular uh, and Australia in general is actually not very good. Uh, and unfortunately – uh, if, we, if we just go back to what we're talking about in terms of the fostering, uh, nine times out of ten, the kids that go into the care of uh, foster parents, um, sometimes there will be some juggling around and they may be shifted. But majority of the times that we have kids in foster care, they're usually put in under uh, a plan of having them stay with them up until the age of 18 uh, to provide the kids with that stability that they do need. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it is a very, sorry to interrupt. What what percentage of kids do you think actually stay in one or one home or two homes for a decade or, or, or so? I mean, the ones that I've talked to, and maybe I only hear the horror stories, you know, because those are the ones that draw attention are the ones that are in like 12 homes in 10 years and things like that, you know? Yeah. Look, to be honest, that, that has happened like historically, if you look back, yes, that has happened. Um, however, I know that there are organizations now, like Anglicare, for example, that do try to uh, match a child as best possible with uh, foster parents with the intention of having them in their care for, uh, on a permanent arrangement. So th- I know that there are um, things in place to try and actually make it less impactful on the child. But do you know, have a general sense of, and this isn't your area, it's a tangent, but do you have a general sense of how many kids actually are in one home, I mean, percentage-wise, are in one home versus multiple homes over their time in foster care? Yeah, the thing is, like, back when I was a social worker, probably it would have been under 50%. 
Um, But I I mean, obviously, I haven't worked in that field for quite a while now, so I'm hoping it has improved. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, just unless you actually look up statistics based Mm -hmm. on that, I don't think you're really going to find it. Which they're probably not publishing because it's not going to help. Okay. So, um, all right. Well, I just... Wanted to get your feedback on that. What? So, so you you actually worked in the Aboriginal Family Support Services as well? Yeah, I did. Uh, Can you so, tell us about that? What, how was that different from yeah, other so, experiences? Yeah. So, look, um, part of our training uh, we deal with diversity, and so we we are specifically taught about Aboriginal culture. Uh, that is a, a very prolific thing that we do look into. Um, and I, I've been very fortunate to work with many different Aboriginal uh, families and cultures over my time. Um, anything from you know uh, families up in the APY lands to the top end of uh, like Darwin, Northern Territory, uh, even Queensland as well. Um, they all have differences in the cultures, uh, but you know they're they're wonderful people, and they're they're actually really quite beautiful people. Actually, um, if you can get over uh, the way that a lot of people, how do I put it? A lot of people uh, misconstrue how Aboriginal culture is spoken, particularly um, because um, if you actually hear the cultures, like because you don't understand it, you don't understand what they're actually saying to each other. But they actually are talking to each other. Um, but often when they are speaking to each other, it sounds. I wouldn't say it sounds aggressive, but it sounds quite almost irate in a way. Um, and really? But it's about understanding the differences between their culture and ours uh, to yeah, work it out. Well, my wife's Chinese, and we always have that discussion because I, I tell you, first time I went to China, I was like with her, I was like, what are they fighting about? They're just talking about what they want for lunch. Then the next one, what, what, what is that guy angry about? Nothing. He said that the weather's beautiful. You know, just over <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. All exactly right. Even today, I mean, I've been with her 15 years. I'm like, what were you and your mom fighting about? No, we were talking about what kind of meat would be good for dinner. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, it's, you know, it is different. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna, to uh, have a quick break here, but I want to tell you guys what's coming next because it's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about James and his store and how he's helping people uh, that have special needs feel comfortable and, and how he's giving them an awesome service. So we'll be right back. Listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with James from Beast and Beauty Co. And if you've missed the interview so far, I feel real bad for you. <laughs> but you're going to hear some exciting stuff now. So, uh, James, your business that you have currently, and then we'll talk about the future as well. Uh, so you're uh, helping out people with special needs. Yep. Uh, in, in, as a barber, yep. just tell us, lay it on us. Yep. Well, basically, uh, yeah, I uh, I came up with a solution uh, when I was working in barbering for another uh, group. Came up with an idea, which was uh, the bearded barber, um, and basically we have a, a a man cave, if you call it that, uh, at the back of our house. Uh, and honestly, my man cave is full of toys. It's got my computer. It's it's just it's a decked out man cave, like honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, we were put into a situation where my wife had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh no! And uh, basically, we sat down and spoke and said, "Look, how do we 
how do we give you the support that you need so that uh, that you don't have to worry about you know making a living while uh, recovering. And uh, basically, I just said to my wife, I said, you know what, how about I start my business in the back of the house, uh, we'll, we'll invest some of our, our savings and just deck the room out, new floor, new paint job, the whole shebang. Um, and yeah, basically, uh, we just did that and the Bearded Barber was born. And out of that, I, uh, I had specifically put onto my website that I was uh, willing to help um, kids and adults with special needs like autism or mental health uh, overcome their their situation and provide them with a safe place for them to go to get their hair done. Because nine times out of ten, the kid uh, or the adult that comes in, if they're struggling and you can see that they're physically like almost freaking out, um, it's because there's something that's not sitting well in their their mind at the time nine times out of ten it's the the noise so if you go into like a busy shopping center that has a bar uh, barber shop in there you know they've got five guys there's loud music there's people talking to each other you know there's kids playing games whatever the case it's literally an overload of sounds and the environment that they're in that causes them to freak out you know so a really good example uh, of what I do, I had a, a mother uh, ring me and she basically said, look, I've got a, I've got a 13-year-old son. Um, he's autistic. Um, he does speak uh, and he's, he's, he's a great kid, but we can't get him a haircut and we just don't know how to get him a haircut. Can you try? And I said, you know what? I am happy to do that. So come on down. They came down. And without going into the full conversation, because it includes a, a few curse words by mm. the child, mm. uh, this kid walks into my shop, sees all my collectibles, because I collect pop vinyls, like Funko pop vinyls, right? And he's looking around, and he's looking left and right, and, you know, in front of his mum, he, he just goes, this is effing awesome. <laughs> and his mum's like, huh? And he literally sits down... I cape him up, I give him a haircut, and he spent 30 minutes talking to me about how he loves Stan Lee because he loves Marvel. Mm. And the mum literally just looked at me and goes, how the hell did you do that? Mm. And I said, you know what? I provided him with a safe place. Mm. We provided him with an environment that made him feel at ease, made him mm. feel comfortable. And so it made me realize, and also looking after my kids and making sure that they've got great hair as well, I just realized that there was a real niche in the market that needs to actually cater for these people because no one does it. Because, you know, most barbershops that you look at, basically uh, you've got uh, barbers that are like, get in there, out of my chair. You know, they want to smash out as many haircuts as quick as they can. You know, because they want to make money. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I I can cut hair. Fast, I can. I've done it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I literally I was a part of a event called No Strings Attached a month ago, uh, where I uh, punched out twenty seven haircuts in four and a half hours, mm-hmm. and that was for her, for people that were disadvantaged, and we offered them free haircuts. Mm-hmm. You know, we just wanted to knock them out. But I don't want to do that. I I want to provide 
an environment for people to come where they just feel comfortable, they feel at ease, uh, where we're going to have a specific day of the month, which will be the first Monday of the month, where we'll be closed to the general public and it'll be by booking only. There'll be two people working in the shop. It'll be a nice, quiet place where people can come and they can bring their, you know, whether they have autistic clients or autistic children or they're autistic themselves as an adult, they can come in, get their hair done and feel comfortable. Wow. So... I mean, it was something that just struck me. I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but you've um, basically, I mean, not only, like I said, are you an entre- a real entrepreneur who sees an, sees an issue, tries to solve a problem, yeah. um, you know, the even better part of the story, like you're, you're like a walking motivational story if you think about it. I'm not trying to build you up too much, but hey, you'll go home and your wife will, you know, tell you, bring you back to earth anyway, so it's okay. But, but <laughs> that's what our wives do. But seriously, um, you know. You know, so you started this business because uh, your wife had was was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, correct. And so necessity is the mother of invention, as I think Franklin uh, Ben Franklin said. Yeah. And and the cool thing, another cool thing about this is, so you're taking something that was this huge, scary uh, issue for not just the person. You know, to get a haircut because I I could see how autism and scissors wouldn't go well together. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, and, and and the parents that are all stressed about, oh my God, how am I going to get their haircut or how am I going to get their whatever? You know, their their hygiene sorted or whatever. And and I and it sounds like what you're going to end up doing is you're going to turn it into something that they look forward to every month. Yeah, correct. So it's going to be it's going to be going from super negative to super positive. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point of yeah. doing what we're doing because you know, everyone creating a place they fit in. Yeah, awesome. exactly right. And you know, I, I say this uh, unequivocally: everyone has the right to have amazing hair. And you know, right? It's it's not because I'm a vain person or because you know I want to talk myself up. I'll, I'll do that later on in the show. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But it's more because everyone has the right to feel good about themselves. Absolutely. You know, because and like I've had so many clients and even non-autistic clients ask me, "Why do I cut hair?" And I say to them, "Because because you know what? If I walk out of a shop with amazing hair, I feel like a million bucks." Mm. You know, I want people to feel like a million bucks every time they walk out of my shop because mm-hmm. you know what? Those people end up becoming returning clients and then all of a sudden you've got this family of people that are just constantly with you and supporting you. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the And obviously if they leave feeling good about themselves, they're going to treat other people better. Correct. You know, so that's – and so how do people uh, hear about, you know, book with you? How, how do they hear about it? Yep, so – Because you're kind of the best-kept secret right now, <laughs> which which I don't think you should do as a business person. Don't keep your business a secret, man. Well, it's funny you say that because just in the last six months in particular, I have uh, become to the point where I'm so severely booked out uh, that it came to the realization that I needed to expand. So that's where we've gone, well – I don't want to just focus on barbering. I want to focus on hairdressing as well. So we want to have both men and women looked after. So looking after the catering for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we've gone, okay, well, how do we do this? And that's how Beast and Beauty was born mm-hmm. um, because we want to make something that's 
We want to make it we're literally the, the, the byline for our businesses, Beast and Beautico, the family destination. Mm. You know, we want everyone to be welcomed, everyone to walk in. You know, we, with uh, part of our services, we will be offering drinks, whether it's an alcoholic or non-alcoholic. We've also got Delicia Coffee. Uh, my friends uh, Dan and Mel have a shop uh, opposite my shop, and we've got a deal with them where we'll provide customers with a coffee if they don't, don't want an alcoholic beverage. And basically, everyone gets looked after. Mm. So, but how, but what what I was trying to say before is, how do they book with you? Yes, sorry, I, I went on a tangent. My apologies. That's okay. Um, so basically, we have a website uh, which is www.beastandbeautyco.com.au, um, but we also have an app. So the app that we use is called Booksy, and essentially, all you have to do is look up barbers in Gawler or hairdresser in Gawler, and it will literally come up with our logo saying Beast and Beautyco. It will have X amount of five star reviews on it. I'm not going to toot my own horn, but there's a lot on there. And yeah, basically, you just go on there and you choose a service. And, well, you know, yeah. My grandpa used to say, when you were talking, he reminded me of something my grandpa used to say. He used to say, Son, if you're telling the truth, you ain't bragging <laughs> about your five star reviews. So, uh, what, who, who, other, who are some other people that you're helping out besides people with autism? Yeah, so look, we, we cater for everyone. It's not just uh, looking after special needs. We, we want to look after everyone and make sure everyone feels the love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in particular, today, uh, obviously, we're getting ready to open up a new shop, which is at 136 Murray Street, Gawler. Um, and that's going to be opening early December. Uh, literally today, I interviewed a young lady. She goes by the name Raven. Uh, she was a very alternative chick. She has face tats. Very interesting young lady. Uh, she is a barber, mm-hmm. and she identifies as non-binary. Cool. Mm-hmm. You do you. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was wonderful to talk to. And, you know, she's literally got a green mohawk, and she just spoke to me really eloquently uh, and she, like she literally just came to me. She's like, I can't believe you're doing this. That you're looking after people with autism because mm-hmm. she's like, I'm autistic myself. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said, really? Because you don't present as an autistic person. She said, Yeah, because I've been able to overcome my insecurities in life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, That's fantastic. And I literally said to her, half an hour into me interviewing, I said, You know what? You're hired. So, well, you know, that's another great – again, I'm sorry. I put my business coach hat on again. That's right. But, but – uh, shameless promotion. But uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, I mean, you know, that could be part of your advertising campaign too. You could say, hey, listen, you know, we, we, uh, we're empowering people that have the same challenges as you have. Yeah. You know, and these people could be – I don't want to say ministering, but you talked about being Pentecostal before. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> oh, I've got autism too. And I've done uh, – oh, you do? You know, some of the 8-year-old kids or whatever, 10-year-old kids that are a bit scared. Yeah. You know, they've got a role model there. Yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 and, and that's a fantastic thing as well. But the, the thing is, like, as, as I say to everyone, I say we champion everyone. We mm-hmm. love everyone equally. I don't mm-hmm. care whether you identify as non-binary, gay, straight. You can identify as an alien if you want to, or a cat. Apparently, that's a thing. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. Yeah, apparently yeah. so. Um, I'd rather be a dog. You know, that's fair. A goldfish for me. I okay. Cool. Right. Um, but well, I have that memory, but not. The, <laughs> anyway, sorry. We'll start calling you Dory. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, basically, uh, I, I want to champion people for who they are and celebrate them for who they are, mm. because everyone has the right to be loved. Everyone mm. has the the right to feel good about themselves. They have the right to just look, go out into the world and go. You know what? I am happy to be here. I'm happy to be alive. This is awesome. 
Mm. Well, on that positive note, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back with some more uh, powerful intuition and information from James Somerville. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back, and uh, James here in this uh, in the little bit of time we have left, I'd like to talk about some of the other clients that you have. Uh, I know you work with people with autism, and of course, you know the general public as well. Yep. But what are some other people with special uh, groups of people with special needs that you work with? Yeah, so basically. Um as, as I said to you earlier, like we we we'll look after anyone and everyone, but we're we're happy to cater for people. You know, uh, I have bipolar clients, I have uh, clients of ADHD, uh, mixed personalities disorders, uh, uh, anything schizophrenia is another one as well. Mm. Basically, anyone that falls under the category of mental health, uh, and it's not, I, won't, I won't say the word disease because it's not a disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, mental health is something that we all struggle with, and mm-hmm. let's be honest, we do. Um, but yeah, anyone that, you know what, the best way I'm going to, I'm going to put it is people that look at the world differently. Mm-hmm. If you look at the world differently and you think that you're different to others, I'm going to look after you simple mm-hmm. and straight. Okay, great. So I know that one of your passions that just came through is mental health. Yep. Uh, tell me about, tell me about that. Why you feel, why you're so passionate about it and why. You know how you're trying to to make a difference in that area. Yeah, look, uh, and to be honest, uh, have we got another hour? Because quite well, frankly, we've got I about think, we've uh, got about six minutes. So I will be quiet, and you run as okay. far as you can no with six minutes. Look, I'll, I'll give it to you straightforward. Um, at the age of eight, in 1994, I was hit by a motorbike at high speeds, 110 kilometers an hour in the 50 zone by a guy with that didn't have a license. Mm. All right, I pretty much was pronounced dead. Uh, and I had some very significant uh, issues growing up. So I had a head injury myself, and, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, 29 years later, I've managed to overcome everything, and I've done fantastically. Uh, But the thing is, I grew up, you know, dealing with depression, dealing with suicide ideation, um, dealing with so many things in my life that had an impact on me because, to be honest, because I came, I came back to school in a wheelchair because I had multiple broken bones, and I got paid out horrendously. Mm. Like, yeah, just it was horrific. Mm. Um, so basically, I struggled so so much uh, growing up as a teenager and, and into my early twenties uh, to the point of when I actually mar- uh, met my wife. Um, because, you know, growing up with someone that has a head injury, someone that's dealt with uh, depression, like I, the, my, the headspace I was in was I'm never going to get married. No one's going to ever love me. No one's ever going to accept me for who I am. Um, and then I was very fortunate enough to meet uh, my wife, Sarah, who is amazing. She's 100% my rock. Uh, we've been married 17 years now. And, you know, she was very accepting and very loving and caring for me. And, you know, fortunately for me, uh, coming out of that accident, I ended up with a fairly significant payout, uh, which was over a million dollars. But you know what? My wife married me for me, not because of the money. Mm. Um, So basically, uh, and that's also probably what helped me move me into social work as well, because I wanted to help kids that were struggling. Um, And, you know, in, in now, the, um, even though I'm not a social worker now, I am. I always want to help people. I want people to feel loved. I want people to feel happy. 
that's the whole point. You know, we all have the right to feel happy and f- to feel loved, don't we? You know, and, you know, basically, yeah, I don't care who you are. As I said, uh, as I said, I'll champion you for you. I'll, I'll give you... I'll give you laughs, I'll give you jokes, I'll give you me just being downright goofy and stupid. Because you know what, if it makes you smile, cool. I'll, I'm happy to do it. Wow. So I say it again. You are a walking motivational story, dude. Thanks, I'm, I'm so impressed. You know, and, and that, that is awesome. So uh, just real quick here, uh, and, it, and it's so funny. I, just one point I want to make, and, and when I say funny, I mean odd, okay? Yep. Um, you know, all we all need to open our eyes in the world around us because we all think everybody else, everybody, we're the only ones that have issues. And and you say you're somebody that thought you'd never be loved or accepted or whatever, dude. You're like six five. You weigh 120 some kilograms. People better accept you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I mean, how does this guy walk around going, nobody's going to accept me? You know, I mean, it, all of us have that. Whether we're you know an immigrant that just came or. Yeah. You know, a 70-year-old uh, died, digi, uh, ridgy, dig Aussie, you yeah. know, in, in, in cans or something. So it's just, it's just so interesting. I, I mean, even at, you would think at my age that I would really grasp that, but I, I never cease to be amazed. Yeah, look, you know? to be honest, man, like, you know, uh, mental health and dealing with depression and, you know, having suicidal thoughts comes in every single different size and shape you can think of. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, you know, you got people uh, that you, I think, are the most strongest independent people, and then in the blink of a second, they've taken their lives. You don't know. No. You know, Um, unfortunately for me, I've I've lost a few people to suicide. Um, And to be honest, what actually stopped me going through that as well was becoming a dad. Mm. You know, because I I remember looking at my daughter for the very first time and feeling this new sense of overwhelming love. Mm. So, yeah, that's what did it for me. It is the best thing ever, man. I I, I didn't know that my one true love, you know, was going to be a male, but he is my son. (laughs) You know, I I never knew that was going to be my greatest love affair, you know. uh, but anyway, so in just like 30 seconds, what's the one thing that you want the audience to carry away from this? Yeah, so yeah, come December, Beast and Beauty Co., we are opening our doors. Everyone's invited. Uh, we're going to be looking after you, and basically we want you to come in. We want you to feel loved and accepted. So bring your family, bring your friends, bring your dog. I don't really care if you want to bring your dog. I'm, I'm all good for that. But, um, yeah, check us out online. Uh, we are on socials, so Instagram, Facebook, uh, Booksy as well for the booking uh, ser- uh, services. So, yeah, come see us. All right. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, James. Uh, and I want to thank Mark Aston for paneling for us again. Thank you very much, Mark. And most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening. And as always, I'm going to leave you with a brief inspirational message. This young man was born the youngest of four. At eight years old, he wrote The Carol Burnett Show and said he should be given a role on the show because he was already an expert at making funny faces. He was absolutely thrilled when he got a form letter back. Not long after that, though, his family fell on hard times. They became homeless. After that, he actually lived in a tent for quite a while. Eventually, his dad got a job and things improved. 
At age 15, in lieu of rent, they got housing for free on the condition that he and his brother worked as janitors for a factory that owned an apartment building. His shifts were from 6 p.m. until 7 a.m. At the age of 15, he did his first comedy gig, and he was booed off the stage. At 16, he dropped out of high school. At 17, he got his first paying gig. In 1980, he tried out for Saturday Night Live. He was rejected. At 19, he opened for a band, and he was booed off stage again. In 1981, Rodney Dangerfield took him under his wing. He tried out again for Saturday Night Live. Five years later, he was rejected again. The next year, he tried out for Saturday Night Live again. He was rejected again. But in 1990, he landed a role in a short-lived comedy series called In Living Color. Not long after that, he wrote himself a check for $10 million. And he postdated it five years into the future. Now, at that time, of course, he had maybe $1.25 in his bank account. But he said to himself, Five years from now, I'm going to cash this $10 million check. Three days before the date on the post-dated check, he was told by his agent he would get $10 million for Dumb and Dumber. That person, of course, is Jim Carrey. What do we learn from his story? Many things. But a few of them are, one, the power of a mentor, Rodney Dangerfield. And a little shameless promotion right now. I'm a business coach, consultant, and mentor. And, of course, you can leave me a comment on our Facebook page, Change the World with Matt McQuinley, and perhaps I can help you. But even more important than a mentor was the fact that his family supported him even though they were broke as. Number two, we learn the power of focus, goal setting, and positive expectations. Remember, he wrote himself a check for $10 million. He put a specific date on it. And he carried it around with him at all times to keep himself focused. Number three, we learn not to listen to the naysayers. He was laughed off the stage multiple times. He was rejected by the show that all the up-and-comers get on. Three times he was rejected from Saturday Night Live. And of course, we also learn that there are two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of person that isn't focused, who doesn't set goals, who isn't time-specific on their objectives, who doesn't think positive, and who listens to the naysayers. And then there's the other kind, who believes they can succeed, who sets time-specific goals, who ignores the naysayers, and puts forth the effort to succeed, who doesn't let disappointment deter them from realizing their dreams and accomplishing their goals. And as always, the real question is, which one are you?